Pastor, we continue today in our Control-All-Delete study series uh, this Lenten season. As we talk about rebooting our lives, if you'd like to grab a copy of our study guide, we have these copies by all the doors, so grab one up for yourself, for your family, uh, for friends, or, or share it with your life group. As this um, study was coming up, I, I kind of had a, a little bit of an issue because this is the fourth time that I'm going to be preaching on that text on peace from Philippians 4. And so I saw that come up and I said, okay, God, um, um, what's the deal here? Um, are you trying to tell me something like I've been preaching on this and I'm not communicating it clearly? Or maybe do I have something that I need to work on in my own life? But what I thought about as I looked at this text once again is that this is a text, this is something that we as people all need to hear. Because I kind of reflected over the past week and all that was going on uh, was at Best Practices Conference in Phoenix and, and talking with a bunch of other people. And they're asking, you know, the first question when you see somebody you haven't seen in a while is, how's life? And I noticed that the first word out of my mouth was busy. Anybody else have that happen where somebody asks you, how are you doing? And I'm busy. Anybody else out there ever like that? Our lives get busy, don't they? And some of that's part of the fact of having two kids under three, having a house that I own. There's work and busyness that comes with that. But it also made me think that maybe I need a reboot. I need to find peace in my life. And peace is not an absence of, of busyness or noise or things going on, but a, a sense of calm in our hearts. And so I thought, as I thought about that and I was talking to people, maybe something else should be the first thing out of my mouth other than busy. Something else should be more important on my lips. But what is, what is peace? Oftentimes people think that peace and joy are, are kind of the same thing, and it's true that they both come from the same place. They both come from an assurance of salvation in Christ. Uh, but joy is, is a little different. Joy is a mirth. Uh, notice that I didn't say happiness, and mirth is not a word that we usually use, but, but a, a, a mirth that, that is deep-seated within us, that no matter what's going on, whatever we have, whatever we're holding on to, it's a sense that says, I have got the thing that is most important. I've got the only thing that matters. Peace is similar. Peace is a confidence and a trust in God's control over your life. Uh, to describe it a, a little bit different way, uh, joy, the opposite of joy is hopelessness. Whereas the opposite of peace is anxiety and worry. In Greek, it literally means to be of a divided mind, to be torn into little itty-bitty pieces. And I don't know about you guys, but sometimes, sometimes when trying to balance everything in my life, I feel a little bit like that. Like I'm torn into pieces as I'm trying to do this and focus on that and think about this. But we see it's even a struggle for Jesus and his disciples. From Mark chapter 6. Let's read this together. Then Jesus said, let's go off by ourselves to a quiet place and rest for a while. He said this because there were so many people coming and going that Jesus and his apostles didn't even have time to eat. Have you ever had a day like that? 
a day when there's not even time to pause for a moment and grab something to eat. Had a time where you just needed rest. Just needed to rest. Just needed to get away from it all. And so the disciples do that. They go and they get away and we continue in our text. So they left by boat for a quiet place where they could be alone. But many people recognized them and saw them leaving. And people from many towns ran ahead along the shore and got there ahead of them. Jesus saw the huge crowd as he stepped from the boat and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. Have you ever gone away, had a vacation, and as you're on vacation, you're thinking about, wow, this is beautiful, toes in the sand, sun rising over the beach, life is wonderful, and yet discovered that you weren't still quite at peace, that all the busyness had stopped, that you left all the busyness of daily life behind, all the frustrations of boss and competition and work and traffic. Something was still missing. See, we need to heed a warning. A warning that even in the midst of of busyness and getting away from all that busyness, we still sometimes can't find that rest that we need. We can't slow down, and just slowing down doesn't give us the desired result in our lives. We need something else. Almost always, whether in ancient times or in modern times, people have always said, this is how you deal with stress. This is how you deal with worry. This is how you deal with anxiety. You've got to take and you've got to remove those thoughts, those thoughts that lead you down dangerous paths, those thoughts that you shouldn't be thinking, those thoughts that are unproductive for you. Expel the negativity. Only reinforce positive thoughts. You walk into Barnes and Noble or, or Borders Bookstore and pick up any book. That's exactly what they're going to do. They're going to jump right to the technique. They're going to jump right to telling you, okay, you need to work on your work-rest balance in your life. You need to work on some breathing techniques. That's how they'll tell you how to de-stress and relax. The one thing that they'll never do is say, okay, let's start with the big questions of life. Why are you here? What does your life amount to? Uh, what is the meaning of life? They'll never, ever, ever do that. Would that help any of us? I'm, I need to get de-stressed. I'm going to go read this book, open the book up. What's the meaning of life? I don't think that's going to be a good thing for me. It always talks about thought control techniques, bracketing out certain parts of our lives Running away. The other morning, uh, Bree came in and she opens our door and she stands there with her, dragging her blanket behind at about 4.45 in the morning. And she says to me, want to watch the Boov movie? And I'm like, what? The what? Am I not understanding you? She says, the Boov movie, which is the movie Home, if anybody has seen that. And in the movie, the, the boove, they have no peace. They keep on running from planet to planet. And one part of the movie, he says, it asks the question, who are the boove? And the answer is the best species ever at running away. 
And the movie, they're running away because there's another species that's chasing them around the galaxy. And here's the thing that, that I saw in this movie that I see in our lives. That running away, bracketing out those things that stress us out, those things that worry us, those things that bog us down. They don't set us free. They don't give us the peace that we need because really what we're doing is refusing to face how bad things really are. Has everybody ever, you know, put their computer on away mode? You go out of town, you put your email on away mode, and you come back from town, and the stress is even worse than when you left, right? So now you got like a thousand emails to deal with. And so what we need to do is we need to go a little bit deeper. Because it's not just getting away from it all that's going to fix our peace problem. We need to ask the question, why are you so anxious? What is about us as people that makes us anxious? You see, our biggest problem, our biggest problem is we bring our hearts along with us. Our hearts along with us that are inside crying out, I want a life that matters. A heart that, that has some insecure feelings like, am I really secure in my future? Am I secure in my relationships? Am I secure in my work? And that heart comes with us. Those feelings of inadequacy come with us. We as people struggle with, with some of our present weaknesses of feeling tired and worn out. So we don't want our lives to be meaningless. And I think another part of it is that as Christians, we don't expect our lives to be lacking in peace and joy. You think, okay, I'm a Christian now. I should have peace and joy in my life. It's not supposed to be like this. I should be filled with peace and joy, and yet I'm just as stressed and just as worried as everybody else. I should be better by now. So whether we get away from it all or stay at home, we still have that, those things, those thoughts running in our minds. See, before... Before you became a Christian, you were kind of like Switzerland. World War II, you had no enemies. There's little things kind of happening on the borders of the town, of the, of the country. But no main wars. But when you were baptized, you were brought into God's family of faith. And you were given great promises, great hope. But you also acquired some enemies. One of those enemies is the world. world which we sometimes refer to as secularism. And secularism, to kind of simplify it, is it says that all that really matters is right now. Image is all that matters. How you look to the world right now is the only thing that matters. Don't worry about anything else. Do we ever feel that kind of pressure here in Orange County? Anybody ever look at who's driving or what anybody else is driving? Who's driving what car? It's all around us. The world's telling us what you wear matters, what you drive matters. We also acquire another enemy, and that enemy is, is self. Uh, sometimes Scripture refers to it as flesh. And what Paul's talking about there is he's not talking about our bodies, but that desire that's in each of us, that wants to call the shots, that wants to say, I'm in control and live for our own glory. And we also acquire the enemy of Satan. And Satan, he can't get at our salvation. Because as, as Paul writes elsewhere, that, that we are held in the hand of God and there is nothing that can snatch us away from that. And so Satan goes after our peace and joy. Because if he, he knows that if he can make us miserable and not fun to be around, he can make us 
ineffective. And so Satan attacks our peace and our joy. And he does that by making us look at our sin more than at our Savior. Paul gives us some great words, some great guiding words for how we can deal with this anxiety that we all feel and how we can find peace. From Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 9. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. And so what Paul says to us is that it's not about absence in our lives that we go to to find peace, but presence. The presence of the God of peace himself. As he ends the text with, the God of peace will be with you. And he also says something else that's very interesting. He says, if you are worried, if you are anxious, what you're doing is you're not thinking. He's saying that worry is the absence of thinking. You see, we have two options in our lives. We can either listen to our heart or we can talk to our heart. And we say, listen to our heart. You know what your heart does. You get up in the morning and start thinking about your day. And you think, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, what am I going to do about that? Oh my word, I've got this big thing that I've got to get done. And da, 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 da. Anybody ever have that happen? Where you get up and it just starts going. And so Paul says, instead of listening to your heart that's going to carry you off down this path, you need to talk to your heart. That's what he's saying when he says, think about these things. You see that sort of thing all over Scripture. Peace comes from talking to your heart. Not general talking like, hey, I heard this great story that i got to tell you, but talking about the things that matter. And if you look to the Psalms, one of the places that this is evident all over the place, King David does this all over. From Psalm 42, I'd like to share this with you. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise in my Savior and my God. What is David doing there? He's talking to his heart. He's talking to his inner being. He's talking to his heart and he's saying, don't focus on this broken stuff. Focus on God, your Savior. Focus on what Jesus has done for you. And we notice that that peace, the peace of God always comes from peace with God. Those are, those are two separate things. Those two things are linked together. You see, what, what Paul is saying, what David is saying, is that when you have peace with God, the peace of God can be yours. Those are two distinct things, but not separate. Okay, so then this is our fourth time going through Philippians 4. Let's talk some practical steps about how you can find peace in your life. First step, stop. You need to stop. 
and I think this is true of my life as well, I need to stop. We have this problem that, that we don't want to embrace our limits. And what stopping does is says, God is God, I am not. He is indispensable and I am his creature. And the world continues just fine when I stop. And then secondly, rest. And we all think of rest and we start thinking about the rules that some of us might have grown up with. I grew up in the Midwest where nothing was open on Sundays. Anybody else grew up in a town like that where everything was shut down and you couldn't do certain things? I remember having a conversation with my mom and she said, we're not going to work in the front yard on Sunday because we don't want the neighbors to see us. That's not what it's about. If that's the way you're thinking, you're missing the point. So one of the things that we rest from on the Sabbath is work. But what else maybe should you rest from? How about hurriedness? How about when you're cruising down the five instead of trying to get over the left lane and trying to weave your way through traffic? Why not enjoy and, and observe God's beautiful creation? What about resting from multitasking, from trying to get a million things done at once? What about resting from technology? See, what it's about is not the rules but finding peace in the presence of God and enjoying what he's giving you. Delighting in, in, in the world but, and doing what fills your spirit. That goes kind of closely along with the next one, and that is to take delight. I love watching my girls. Elise is a little young yet, but Bree in particular. She finds joy in the silliest things. And I think that's one of the best things that children do for us whether it's playing in the dirt or playing in the water or, or finding a keychain and being just enthralled with pushing the uh, unlock lock button on the car. They enjoy all that is around them. And so we're encouraged to pay attention, to see, to hear, to taste, to smell, to touch, and see God's beautiful creation. And that leads into the next thing. And we think if, if God has given us all this, and we live in a wonderful, wonderful place. If God has given us all this and done all of this, how much more will he do for us because of what he's done for us in Christ Jesus? And when we stop and when we, we rest and when we delight, we get a taste, a little bit of taste, like, like one of those samples at the deli counter, the one that everybody else has looked at with their fingers. We get a taste of, of what is yet to come, of the eternal party, of music and dancing and food and, and all the beauty that awaits us in God's new heavens and new earth. So that's a practical way. And yet, at the same time, these people have this sense in us that we are precariously situated. We know that we live in a broken world and that bad things happen around us. And the world says, well, don't think about that. That's morbid. And I like to show you this slide. I was watching this movie, um, and I thought, so I heard the lyrics in the background. I said, this can't be right. This is a kid's movie. These lyrics are a little bit dark for a kid's movie. There could be a freak accident. There could be a fatal disease. I know we hate to think about it, but it's as real as you. Kid's movie, Really? We could all fall down before our Savior could return. I know we hate to think about it, but it's as real as you and me. 
And the world says, don't think about that stuff. Yet that stuff is written within us. We know it's true. And Paul says, no, think about it. Think about what is true. That in the midst of everything, God has got a plan that even though the world fell into sin, he has a plan to redeem the world by sending Jesus into the world to redeem it. And more than that, he's got a plan for you and for me, a plan to restore everything that is broken, to remove all the sorrow, to remove all the suffering. Because we don't want a life that's meaningless. We want what we do with our lives to be of value. And so when we start to think about it, we realize that God has a plan for us as well. So I'd like to share this quote with you. What you do with your body in the present matters because your God has a great future in store for it. What you do in the present by painting and preaching and singing and sewing and praying and teaching and building hospitals and digging wells and campaigning for justice, writing poems and caring for the needy, loving your neighbor as yourself will last into God's future. These activities are not simply ways of making the present a little less beastly, a little more bearable until the day when we leave it all behind. Rather, they are part of what we may call building for God's kingdom. So the things that we do with our lives matters. And Paul also tells us to think about whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, to think about anything excellent and praiseworthy. Is there anything more admirable, more lovely, more praiseworthy than the creator of all creation would choose to stoop down, would choose to leave the heavens and come down to earth to walk with you and me? To come down and live with us as his people. And this Jesus went to death on the cross. Death on the cross where he dies unlike anyone else who has ever died on the cross. Many who have wrote about those that have been crucified say that most people who are crucified, they're up there for a long time and they finally pass out with exhaustion before they finally die. Not Jesus. Jesus dies wide awake, screaming. Jesus gave up all of his peace so that he could give us peace. And this Jesus also rose from the dead. The lyrics of the song continue. If I should go hold my hand, if I should leave, darling, cover me, please. Secular songwriter, Rihanna, yet knows what we need. Someone that will hold our hand and never let go. Someone who will cover us. Jesus has covered us by his death and resurrection. In our gospel, Jesus knew what he needed. The crowds knew what they needed. So Jesus invites us, come to me all you who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. Amen.